Wonderful. We read that passage from Isaiah. His name shall be called Wonderful. Some translations put a comma there. Some do not. Some say Wonderful Counselor. I like to put the comma there. His name should be called Wonderful. For he is full of wonder, full of grace. I remember many years ago I was preaching on that passage of Scripture and I preached on his name is Wonderful and talked about the marvels of wonder and how we need to be restored to wonder. And uh, when I came close to the end of the sermon, I asked a rhetorical question. And I said, and what is his name? And I said, his name is Wonderful. And Joanna, a little girl, Louise Stahl's granddaughter, Joanna was sitting back there and she was so into it. And I said, what is his name? His name is Wonderful. She interrupted and said, no, his name is the baby Jesus. But she's right. And the most wonderful baby that was ever born. And every baby is wonderful. But this one is wonder of wonders. Let me read you the story. You've heard it many times before, but let me read it to you briefly. From two passages of Scripture. First chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. We saw his star. The second chapter of Luke. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all, A-L-L, all the people. Today, In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's come for all, and he's come to you and to me. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Dr. Rich Bimler is the director of a marvelous ministry, the Wheat Ridge Ministries in Illinois. And he has a six-year-old daughter named Rachel. And they were having a Christmas pageant. And Rachel was an angel. And her line was that from the King James translation, Behold, I bring you glad tidings. She practiced that over and over. Behold, I bring you glad tidings. Behold, I bring you glad tidings. Well, when the performance took place, she forgot her lines. Now, it's not because she's young. I forget my lines at times. I have forgotten them when I was young. I have forgotten them now that I'm (laughs) middle-aged. And I suppose I will forget them when I get older but I have forgotten lines. 
Have you ever forgotten a song while you were singing it? Well, this little girl, Rachel, she forgot her lines. She was supposed to say, behold, I bring you glad tidings. Well, she just couldn't say a word. And so what she said was she just blurted it out. Boy, do I got good news for you. <laughs> now, I like Rachel's translation better than King James by far and better than the New International Version or any of them. Boy, do I got good news for you. And that's what I want to preach about today. Boy, do I got some good news for you. Some good news. The good news is that Jesus reveals himself to everybody, anywhere, and anytime. Making a difference who you are, where you are. He reveals himself to each of us. We were made for relationship with him. And he has come to call every one of us, from wise men to shepherds. Come to call anyone and everyone, irrespective of who they are or where they are. You may be working at a desk in an office at the military base. You may be flying in an airplane on business. You may be doing housework. You may be teaching in school. You may be in church. You may be driving your automobile. But he'll come to you. There is no place and no person off limits to the gracious love and the initiative of God to come into your life and to mine. Got good news for you. Boy, do I got good news for you. That he'll come to anybody and to everybody. Wise men in the east, shepherds in the field. He comes with his light, with his music, with his love, with his grace. Boy, is that good news. Is that good news. And he comes to give us sight. He comes to give us sight. He comes to give us sight when we are blind. Now, there are a number of people in the Bible that Jesus healed who were born blind. Uh, Bartimaeus, for example, you can read about him in the fourth chapter, of the, uh, the uh, tenth chapter of the book of Mark. Bartimaeus, a blind man, the blind beggar. Bartimaeus means the son of Timaeus. He was blind from birth and he cried out to Jesus and Jesus said, receive your sight. He'd never seen he was totally blind. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Now, every one of us has to have that experience. Every one of us has to say, Lord, I want to see. Lord, you've placed within me a hunger for light and for life and for love and for joy. Lord, I want to see. And he will say to the person who calls upon him after he has already come to us and called to us, if we respond to him, he will give us sight and we'll see the meaning of life and we'll see the meaning of joy and the meaning of peace and the meaning of salvation. We will receive our sight. But Jesus not only gives us sight when we are blind. He restores our sight when our eyes begin to grow dim. Now that's exactly what Jesus said he was going to do when right after his ministry, he went to Nazareth, his hometown, and he got up 
on the Sabbath and he read the scripture and this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's the fourth chapter of Mark. To preach good news to the poor. Boy, do I got good news for you. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and listen, and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor to restore our sight. You know what I hear that saying to me? Or what I see that saying to me? That all of us who know him and have received the gift of his life and the gift of his love have a tendency over a period of time to fall into a kind of cataract of the familiar. We've heard it so many times. Many of us in this room have heard this story. We can't remember when we first heard it. We were so young. When our parents read it to us and our Sunday school teachers taught it to us and we heard preachers preach on it. We've heard the story a lot. Are you as excited about it today as you were the first time you received your sight? The peril a familiarity. Well, I don't believe familiarity breeds contempt. I know that's a cliche. I don't believe familiarity breeds contempt. But I do believe familiarity can breed indifference. Indifference. And there's something that God wants to do in our lives every day. And certainly he wants to do when we come together in times like this to worship him. And that is to restore our faith and to re-energize our living for him. You see, there's a difference between revival and evangelism. A lot of people don't understand the distinction between revivals and evangelism. You can't revive a dead man. A dead man has to have new life. A dead man has to be born again. But revival revivification, vivify means to live, we can be revived, revive my spirit, revive my soul. If a person is sick, they get revived because they have life and the life is revived. But you don't revive a dead man. A dead man has to have new life. And the church has to have a perennial revival, a revivification, a renewal, a restoration of our relationship with him. We must not, we must not ever begin to live on old second-hand religious cliches because I believe that religion may be the worst cataract that can get into our spiritual eyes and keep us from seeing clearly the light of God's effervescent Son, Jesus Christ. Boy, do I got good news for for you. The peril of familiarity. I heard an Irish tenor singing last night. What was his name? Patterson, wasn't it, Alonzo Lee? Frank Patterson. Oh, he was on Channel 10. Uh, Irish tenor singing some great songs. And he, he sang a song, and in the backdrop was the Grand Canyon. And it reminded me of a story, because I knew I was going to be speaking on the peril of familiarity today, and it reminded me of a story I heard years ago about 
a rancher that lived out around the Grand Canyon. He'd lived there all of his life. And uh, someone asked him, said, oh, it just must be marvelous and wonderful to live around the Grand Canyon where you can see it every day. Just wonderful. He said, well, all I know about the Grand Canyon is it's a heck of a place to lose a cow in. Boy, that can happen to us. can happen to us in church. And we begin to get concerned with trivialities rather than with truth and the energizing power of God and the re-energizing power of God uh, in our lives to revive us. God got good news. Boy, does he have good news for us because he gives us the potential and the desire to see. Lord, that I might receive my sight and have my sight restored, that I might see you in new ways I've never seen you before, that I might experience you in new areas than I've ever experienced you before. Don't let me become comfortable. Don't let me become comfortable. Continue to stir up your people and to stir up me and to stir up us that we'll continue to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He's created within us a hunger. Um, Pascal said, a marvelous, brilliant, one of the greatest minds in the history of the world, that French philosopher, mathematician, theologian. He said, the existence of hunger presupposes the existence of bread. The existence of hunger presupposes the existence of bread. God does not create us with a desire and then not supply an answer for that desire, a fulfillment of that desire. He's created us with hunger and he provides bread. He has created us with eyes and he wants us to see and he wants us to open our eyes and see. Yes, Lord, that I might see. Because you see in the Bible, there's a difference in two Greek words between see and see. I see that microphone I don't understand that microphone. What God wants us to do is not only see him as revealed in the word of God, but to understand. You know how we say it? We explain something or somebody explains it to us. And we say, oh, oh, yeah. I what? I see. There's a difference between physical seeing and seeing with your inner eye to say, oh, I understand. I can now experience that. And not just look at it and define it objectively. I can experience it subjectively and I can say, oh, I see. I understand. He has created us with that innate hunger to see and to have life. All of us have the capacity to see. I've noticed it in children. Man alive, do they hunger for information. They're just voracious in their appetite to learn. I see it in Sunday school and have for all these years. Children, my children, now grandchildren. They just, they hunger for it. And I see it, what, what's happening to my grandchildren now in, in Awanas. I mean, these, these little ones are quoting scripture like, you know, like a preacher. I mean, they're quoting passages of Scripture and they know the references and it's just 
It's just simply fantastic. Their little minds are just so hungry to learn. I see it in school, in the school, Buckner Fanning Mission Spring School. I'm out there at least one day a week for chapel on other occasions. And those little kids, they just soak it up. What happens to us? We lose the excitement of fresh experiences and fresh insights and fresh light. We must have that appetite and ask God to constantly recreate within us a hunger and a deeper hunger for him. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall what? They shall be filled. They shall be filled. Well, he gives us the capacity to see. And I want to get to a serious point. It gives us the capacity to see the blessing of light and the blight of night. Why do men live and die in the dark? Why do millions continue to live and die in the, in the dark? First chapter of John says that the light has come and the darkness cannot hold it back. All the darkness in the world cannot put out the light of a single candle. The light has come and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Well, why is it that though the light cannot be extinguished, people can close their eyes and their hearts and their minds to it? Why? Why do people reject light and love and grace and forgiveness and heaven? Why? I don't understand it. I can't understand it. I cannot reason with the unreasonable. I cannot explain the irrational. I cannot make sense out of nonsense. There are just some things I don't understand, and I don't understand that. Why people would intentionally, repeatedly reject him. I don't understand it. I have a lot to learn. I guess we all do. I know we all do. I remember Socrates said that his, his mission to the young men of Athens was to bring them from unconscious ignorance to conscious ignorance and thereby lead them to the truth. Well, that's what Jesus has come to do is to bring us from unconscious ignorance to conscious ignorance so that we'll call on the light. Why do people reject the light? The Bible says men reject the light because their deeds are evil. They reject the light because their deeds are evil. They choose the darkness. They choose to be evil. You realize, of course, that the word evil is just the word live spelled backwards. The word evil, E-V-I-L, is just L-I-V-E spelled backwards. And evil is a purpose, is a person who intentionally desires to live life moving backward. 
No sight, falling in pits, stumbling, moving away from the light, walking backwards. Who in the world wants to live life contradictory to the plan God has placed for us? Evil. I don't understand it. But I do understand the power of temptation and the cleverness of Satan to tempt us. He'd like to keep us blind, our eyes closed, and if not closed, so dim that we can barely see his light and have little care for others. I believe that when the mirage of temptation is lifted, we will see sin and evil as a barren desert a desolate wilderness. Its wastes are endless. Its waters are the waters of bitterness. Its shade is spiritual darkness. Its trees bear only deadly fruit. Its murmuring breezes are but the hissings of fiery serpents. Its beauty is artificial. Its promises are false. Its guides are liars. Its reward is a terrible and lonely death. For the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Why would men choose darkness? When God has come to give us light and love. Why? Well, I need to close and want to close on a very positive note because, boy, do I got good news for you. He has light for you and love for you and grace for you, and you're going to find it out back in a barn. Out back in a barn. You know, when Mary and Joseph, she, great with child, came to, to Bethlehem from Nazareth, they went to the inn, and you know the story. There was no room in the inn for them. And uh, I personally believe that that was providential. I believe God did not want his son born in a hotel. I don't believe he did. Now, if God had wanted them in the hotel, God could have gotten a reservation there. (laughs) He could have called ahead and said, put this on my account because My little family is coming down there. He could have gotten them a room. He didn't want them there. He wanted them out back in the barn. Why? Because you don't have to be a member to go to the barn. You don't have to pay dues to get in the barn. You don't have to have a credit card to get in the barn. It's accessible to anybody and to everybody. Why, if he'd been born in that hotel, the shepherds never would have been allowed in there. Can you imagine? Oh, the wise men would probably have gotten in there. They had gold and frankincense and myrrh. But those shepherds with the smell of sheep in the field about them, they would have said, man, you're not coming in this hotel. No, but he was out back in the barn. That's where the baby was born. Out back in the barn. Available to anybody and to everybody. 
How beautiful. You know, I, I've uh, seen, like many of you, I've seen hundreds of Christmas pageants of one kind or another. And uh, I've seen people make the innkeeper a real heavy, mean guy. You know, no room for you. Well, you can't blame the fella. I mean, he was in the business of selling his rooms. And it was like fiesta time in San Antonio. You, you can't blame a, a hotel owner for not wanting to fill up all of his rooms. He's in business to do that. So I don't necessarily believe that the guy was evil, harsh. I believe he said, well, you, you can go back out in the barn the garage, the hotel garage, what it was. It was a caravansary. It was a place where they would, it was a cave where they could, they put their animals at night while they stayed in the inn. And uh, I believe the, I believe the innkeeper's wife, I think there's a story about the innkeeper's wife. Isn't there someone has written something fictitious about it? About the, but I believe the innkeeper's wife said, come on, I'll help you. And she went back there. I believe some of the women in the hotel that were there as guests also said, oh, here's a woman about to have a baby. Let's go help her. I believe they took some towels and hot water. Women know how to do that sort of thing. Men sit around in the hotel lobby and talk about football. Uh, now, I'm not making fun of men. I'm just telling you, after 40 years of pastoring this church, when there's a tragedy, when there's a crisis of some kind or another, you'll never beat women getting there. I don't care how quickly you start. You'll never beat women getting there. They'll be there cleaning up the house and making coffee and answering the telephone. They'll be answering the door and making a list of things. And men will go, you know, go down and get a, some ice at the convenience store, go down and get some Cokes and come back, and they stand around and and talk about the cotton bowl or something because they really don't know what to do at a moment like that. But I believe the women knew what to do. And they were out there helping that little mother bring that baby into the world. Wouldn't you like to have helped Mary? My. Out back in the barn, the baby was born. I've got to tell you about it another little pageant that happened out in Phoenix, Arizona at St. Joan of Arc Catholic Church. They had a Christmas pageant too, like every church nearly has, one kind or another. And this little boy that was the, playing the role of the innkeeper, he was supposed to say, no room, sold out, no vacancy. But he just couldn't bring himself to say it like that. I just, when I heard this story, I just loved this little kid. He just, he stood there and Mary and Joseph were standing there and he said, we don't have any room, but would you like to come in for a drink? <laughs> I tell you, I'd like to have hugged that little kid. Uh, he just couldn't bring himself to say it harshly, no room. Well, you don't have to go in for a drink. Let me tell you where you go for a drink, for the drink of the water of life that once you taste it, you'll never thirst again. You go out back in the barn where the baby was born. That's where the water of life is. You're hungry for real love? 
Not conditional love, but unconditional love. Boy, do I got good news for you. You're going to find it out back in the barn where the baby was born. You hurt, grieve with terrible pain at this time of the year, the loss of someone, the need for comfort. Well, let me escort you out back to the barn where the baby was born. And he'll give you a peace that passes understanding. If you've got a troubled conscience, something keeps eating away in your heart and your mind and your life, need forgiveness? Boy, do I got good news for you. You'll find unconditional forgiveness out back in the barn where the baby was born. So, I want to invite you this morning to come to the barn. Come to the barn. Come to this place where all kinds of people from all walks of life, from wise men to shepherds, come because we want light and life and love and joy and peace and forgiveness. Why don't you come? Come be a part of his church. Help us minister to others. And I want us to do as I've done on a number of Sundays. I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes. Merle will play a little on the organ. Daniel on the piano, just quietly. And I'll be down here at the front. And if God's Spirit has spoken to you today to trust him, his son, to acknowledge him as your Lord or to come be a part of his church or to come in a rekindling of your commitment and a rededication of your life, just stand up and come. I'll be here to greet you. Come on to the barn. Come on.